Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you to share an author interview as we do here on Tuesday mornings. It is very, very hard to believe that it is December already. As I sit here, it's kind of snowy and blustery here in Michigan. So I hope all of you are staying warm, safe and dry. Today, you'll be hearing an interview that I did a couple of months ago with C.J. Cook about her novel, The Lighthouse Witches. You may remember Kristen talking about this on one of our monthly picks episodes. So if you're looking for something kind of eerie, a little creepy, to keep you company as fall turns to winter, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, um, this might be a good pick for you. So we're going to start out with the usual housekeeping information and then we'll get right into the interview. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am delighted to welcome author C.J. Cook back to the podcast. We are here today to talk about her latest novel, The Lighthouse Witches, which is scheduled to release here in the U.S. on October 5th. So thank you so much for joining me again. I'm so glad to have you back. Thank you. It's really good to be back. It's uh, It doesn't feel like it's been a, a year. No, it's been, I don't know, like one year that feels sometimes much longer and sometimes much shorter, depending Indeed. upon the situation. Yes, <laughs> I hear you loud and clear. So can you start out um, by giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to The Lighthouse Witches? Certainly. Hi, everyone who is listening. I'm CJ Cook. I am the author of The Lighthouse Witches, which is set in Scotland. It's a gothic thriller. I live in Scotland, but I'm originally from Northern Ireland, hence my accent. Um, I, I moved to Scotland in 2019 and um, I heard about something called the, the, not the Lighthouse, which is I heard about the Scottish Witch Trials. Um, and I, I should mention, actually, in case this uh, sound is coming through, I, it, I'm sitting in my office right now, which is a conservatory and there's a lot of rain. So I'm sorry if there's a faint sound, sound of applause in the background. It's uh, just the rain on my conservatory roof. The weather um, is applauding you. 
<laughs> the Lighthouse Witches was inspired by uh, the Scottish witch trials. Um, so there's an element in this book that concerns this history that took place in Scotland that um, saw about 4,000 uh, people, mostly women, executed on ac accusations of witchcraft, which, of course, um, you know, were, were false. And um, I, I became very, very fascinated by this history, mostly because there's a lot of silence around it. Um, there's a lot that isn't quite known. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, you, you'll find on the internet that, you know, nearby, for instance, 20 minutes from where I live, was a major site uh, of an execution of multiple people, two of which were young boys. And there's, oh. there's really, I know, and that really, that really upset me and, and kind of moved me because my son was 11 at the time that I discovered this when we moved here. And, but there's very little information about it when you go to the actual site. And that's, that happened again and again, that I would, I would go to a place that I'd, I'd find, you know, information online that, uh, that, you know, this is a site of, um, a witch trial and, and an execution and so on. And you go to the actual physical place and there's so little on that. It, it, it seemed to me bizarre that this very dark and troubling history uh, would have such silence around it. But not just that, there's so many relevancies. Um, I, I kept reading stories or finding out uh, bits of information that just felt just very pertinent in the current moment, um, particularly concerning abuses of power um, and minority groups who are oppressed and silenced. Uh, in this case, it was poor women. Um, sometimes people with money would, would still be executed, but a lot of the time people with, with money could actually sort of buy their way free, which is great. But um, there, there was, there's a lot of um, sort of cultural stories and cultural abuses of, of, of certain groups um, that, that you can begin to perceive as you research this history. And I should really say what the, the plot of The Lighthouse Witches concerns. I've talked a wee bit about the inspiration, but The Lighthouse Witches is a gothic thriller and it's set on a Scottish island called Lonhaven, which is a fictional island. And... The setting is, the specific setting is a lighthouse, which is called The Longing. And one of the characters is called Olivia and Olivia or Liv takes her three daughters. She's a single mother to three daughters and they go to stay in a bothy, which is a sort of rundown cottage beside the lighthouse because Liv is commissioned as an artist to paint a mural inside this decommissioned lighthouse which is sort of a relic or a ruin. Um, and she is new to this island. She is a little bit wary at first, but finds that the islanders are sort of wary of her. And she finds it all is not well <laughs> on this island. There's strange goings on inside the lighthouse, which um, it results in her daughters going missing. And another one of the stories takes place in the present day when one of those daughters is grown up and she's searching for her sisters she finds one of her sisters, um, is, is overjoyed, but when she is reunited, she discovers her sister is still seven years old when she should be a grown woman. Why? Um, is <laughs> how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> so 
for listeners who um, were with us for our most anticipated books of October episode, this was actually one of Kristen, who is one of my presenters, um, one of her picks for her most anticipated October release. So we are very, very excited for people to read this and understand exactly how it's possible for someone to be seven for many, many years. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's excellent. So one of the things that I remember saying to Kristen um, when she was talking about this book on that episode is that I found um, your previous release, The Nesting, to be like truly terrifying. And so if The Lighthouse Witches would be anything like that, um, it would also be rather terrifying. And since I have read it um, in preparation for this interview, I, I can I can concur that there are some very creepy, spooky times that make this perfect for October. That's really good to hear. I think it is, is a, an autumn book. Autumn is our fall, fall book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My favorite season. There is something I think so... I don't know, so magical about the fall. It's like, yeah, you know, the summer is done and you get kind of that crispness in the air. At least you do um, if you live where I do, which is in the Midwestern United States. Um, and it's just, there's something very different, I think, about the energy that is in the air during that time. Something mm-hmm. that makes you kind of gravitate toward like the, the, the spookier books. Yeah, there's, um, I mean, there's all sorts of pagan uh, rituals and traditions that are still part of our culture, but you can kind of see and and understand why they were, because there is a a sort of, there's a massive shift all around and you you can feel the the, the different energy. It is a time that you want to sort of curl up at home, at least I do, with the the, the fire on. Oh, yes. Uh, seek out warmth wherever you can um yeah it's it is my favorite season so I'm interested in sort of your your research process for this book especially given what you've said about how little is actually known about some of this this history so how did you go about getting the information that you felt you needed to you know give the story um somewhat of an authentic feel Certainly. So I, uh, as I said, I had ne- I had never actually heard of the Scottish witch trials. I didn't know that such things took place in Scotland. I had heard of uh, witch hunts taking place in Salem in the US and in England, but not in Scotland. And, and when I I, I suppose you, you start doing hunts on the internet and you you come across some scholarship that's that's done in that period and on on specifically on the witch trials and um so a lot of it was that kind of I guess empirical research re- reading the works of early modern scholars who were able to really depict the early modern culture and society and <clears throat> I guess one of the things that has always struck out to me is that King James the sixth was the witch finder general and he oh he made it his sort of mission well it started <laughs> it started with um the north barrack trials so north north barrack is um 
the I'm, I'm gesturing here with my hand as if I'm giving you directions. <laughs> if you look at a map, it's on the the uh, the east coast of southern Scotland, so almost where England meets Scotland, right, uh, close to Edinburgh, and. So his his new bride, the king's new bride, was traveling from Norway to Leith or Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, and her she, they they had a terrible storm at sea and she almost drowned and so on. And in a nutshell, he blamed a, a group of witches or women who he said were witches for uh, plotting with Satan to to capsize her ship. Yeah, because clearly that is the most reasonable. I mean, obviously, right? It's 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 totally that. But he made it his. He said he was an enemy to Satan, and he oh. made a personal mission to to stamp out Satan. There's, I mean, there's a lot of kind of, you know, there's a lot of sort of sexual undertones or overtones, whatever way you look at it here. But he 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 was very clear that he felt women were more susceptible to Satan's influence which is why we have so many witches. Uh, and, and now witch is, a, I mean, it's a gender term, right? It, it usually you think of women. Um, yes. Because there was, it, was, it was mostly women that were accused and imprisoned, and then they would be, they would be murdered and then their bodies would be burned. Um, and so I, I guess the, the more kind of research I was doing, both in terms of reading research material I had a look. It's it's fairly recent that a lot of projects have sprung up. Um, not to say that you know there hasn't been in, in other times, but a really great project is the Witches of Scotland podcast. That um, it started really coincidentally while I was researching and writing this book. So I was just overjoyed and have tuned in ever since. And actually was a guest on their show last week. <laughs> but they oh, that's done- awesome. I know, right? It was a real honor and treat. But they've done 43 episodes so far, um, covering so many different fascinating aspects of this history. Um, the the environment people were were living in, the fact that they they all, you know, everyone just believed in magic. It was a way to explain the inexplicable. Um, but then it was, you know, when you have King James VI kind of making it his mission to stamp out uh, black magic. Um, things obviously took a, a bad turn, but there, there is information out there, but there's still a lot of gaps in knowledge. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, we have the Highland Papers, which is the old sort of records um, that you, you do have dates and names of people who were executed, but it's, it's really the, the story and the scenes, if you like, mm-hmm played out in in other ways so if you look at the treasury accounts from the period you see how many candles were bought for a particular prisoner in a in a prison and that was because they were holding someone who was accused on witchcraft because they would try and keep them awake um it was basically using sleep deprivation as a as a method to extract a confession i think also finding out that you know sometimes the, the narratives that have been passed down um, skew the, the, the facts. Um, you know, people who were accused could be held for anything like five years in prison. Oh I know it's, so it wasn't just a sort of case of an accusation and then they were maybe put in prison for a week. It was, you know, it could be five years. So you could have a girl of 13 going into prison and 
leaving when she's 18 um, or being executed when she's 18. Um, and when we say prison, we really don't mean anything that's that's a good condition. You know, they they would they were held in charges of witchcraft, so they would be tortured, abused. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so this human element really stood out to me. I felt when you read between the lines, you, you saw all these different stories that affected just ordinary people. And it also affected the people who were left behind because they had no grave to mourn at. They had no body to bury. They couldn't mourn in the traditional way because the person they loved was accused of, a, of being a witch, the most taboo thing in, in all society, in all, in all the world, um, you know, doing these terrible things with Satan. So what that trauma looked like interested me as well. You know, it's interesting kind of what you say about the narratives that we pass down and the way that they affect what people know of history. You know, here in the U.S., we are learning just how much of the history that we were taught as children, you know, is not accurate that someone decided like, this is what we should know. And so it is what we know. And yet, you know, it's when you actually do the research and look at more, you know, firsthand sources than like what you get from your, your history textbook, um, you see that things are, are so different from what we were taught to believe. Yeah, it's um, it's quite a thing, isn't it, to to reconfront the stories that you have been told and and leaned on in some ways that maybe shaped your worldview and your own identity. I think there's something really uh, massive, even about that aspect of this retelling. Um, I mean, this book is I've, I've spoken a lot about the witch element, but I mean, I guess it's it's related the the. Th- theme for me that was very important was belief and and belief systems and the stories we we tell religious belief cultural belief all those sort of you know invisible structures through which you know we see the world and ourselves and and how we begin to re-explore that maybe at a certain stage in our lives we have to begin to review um either as a collective or as an individual think about how we see the world and how we treat others, how we engage with society. And, and really it, it is about that critical thinking and reviewing the, the, the information that you've been given, which is, you know, often, as you say, just um, it's, you know, colored in some way it's, 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 it's portrayed in a certain light by, uh, by people with an agenda often. So yes, it does seem to fit like a certain, set of beliefs that you know seemed important to someone someone decided like these are the things that we should take away from all these events and like the rest of it well you know we we don't need to know that we can just yeah push that that's fine exactly and I think for me it's it's even reading about King James the sixth just saying you know women are more susceptible I mean he's the king he Mm. he can't get more powerful than that you know how how much would that have affected how people see women and how well, people, sure you know how they they feel entitled to make an accusation you know so if, if if their crops fail or if if a cow dies or something and and just that day they they were having an argument with a, a female neighbor or whatever it's it's just to me you begin to make connections and and understand how how influence you know works and 
these kind of, I, I guess, agendas and, and narratives really carry such weight culturally and how we operate as a society. You know, my partner always says that like, what people say is so much more important than most people want to admit. And yeah. I think that's really true. I think the things that we we say to one another, like the the legends, the beliefs, even just the, the rumors that we pass around um, have weight that we don't always really stop and think about until sometimes it's oh. it's a little late. Oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, you know, we're, we're hearing that right now, aren't we? You know, in terms of vaccinations. Um, oh, yes. I even I remember my daughter um, was diagnosed five years ago with autism. And I remember really having a, an awful time because there was this terrible false rumor around. Oh, yes. The, um, th- that vaccine they get when they're like 14 months old. Uh-huh. That that causes yeah. autism yeah and I mean that really because I saw you know the um the way she had sort of started to talk and then she just stopped and and was it to do with that or wasn't it and but uh, you know a pediatrician explained to me the problem is apart from you know the rumor that a lot of children on the spectrum that that's that's you know that does happen it's just coincidental but and when you, I really went to the sort of source of this rumor to, to interrogate it for myself and I could see how baseless it was, but, you know, I guess fear loves a rumor, doesn't it? So, oh, and that rumor like holds on hard because yeah. it has been proven false. Like, you know, people know now that that's yeah. not true. And yet we still have people saying, you know, that it's, it's dangerous to vaccinate and that you will, you know, in some way, like harm your children. Um, And they keep pointing back to this whole thing about, you know, vaccines being responsible for autism. Yeah, that's it. But again, when you really confront what's at work there, because on, uh, you know, I I know I'm going on a slight tangent here, but because I was, it's okay. I was, <laughs> I was getting, I was getting to grips. So I didn't know what autism was and I was having to learn all this stuff. And I, I, I think fundamentally for me, I was, I was navigating her condition through a very ableist, you know, position. I, that's how I had, how I had experienced the world as a, as an able-bodied and able-minded person. Um, and so I was taking an ableist view that she contracted autism through this vaccine and, you know, that really fed my fears, whereas autism is not that. And there's many ways in which she's brilliant because she's autistic. It's not like a it's not like a virus or a thing that, you know, is 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 all terrible. It's it's just a, it's a neurological thing that we still don't fully understand and, and actually is very beautiful. So, yeah, it's it's I, I appreciate that because it's taught me to to not be ableist or to at least be very mindful in in you know in ways that are ableist thinking and and being much more inclusive in my own thinking and and striving to be more inclusive but it's it's the same with with um thinking about society and and how you know these narratives perpetuated back in the 1600s and we still have the same thing and and we until we stop and and think much more broadly about um human rights i guess we can't we can't really, you know, contribute and make this world a better place. 
I was born blind. And so I am like 100% no stranger to ableism and ableist thinking and all the ways in which, you know, the world would either like to fix me or discard me. So I think, you know, we, it it is a, a thing that we look at, we look at human rights. We also look at who is deserving of human rights because it doesn't seem to be that like all human beings are, are seen as deserving. It's like certain people who fit specific criteria, like yeah. these are sort of the, the gold standard of, yeah. of people. Exactly, exactly. I, I think there's a lot of unlearning that maybe we're doing right now as a society. We're having to unlearn a lot of things. But the sort of newer generation gives me a bit of hope because they seem to be a lot more savvy and a lot more plugged in when it comes to um, all the, the different ways that we experience humanity and, and you know, we, when we talk about human rights, what we actually mean, because you're quite right, you know, there's, uh, there seems to be a criteria that allows you to fit the, you know, I am deserving of human rights. Yes. <laughs> I deserve, so, you know, humane treatment or like, I don't. Yes, exactly. So, and I'm not sure that that's like, the best way to like run the world, but I guess yeah. that's why I don't run it. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, even, you know, when we're talking about vaccine narratives and, and, and the sort of belief systems that are surrounding that, which is a whole other conversation, I guess, the whole pandemic and COVID has really made us confront the fact that we're all connected. But it's so interesting to me how the facts are so stark. Oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's indisputable, but we still struggle socially accepting that we are all connected, that we have to act in a sort of unified way that you know I can I can you know be carrying a a a terrible virus and it may not affect me actually in a in a very significant way but I can pass it on right Um, it might affect someone else yeah and to me that's so when you really sit with that thought how how terrible is that and how sad and to, to for me to think that I could be actually I would never I would never harm or you know want to harm without any threat or anything just another human being I would hate that but imagine that I could I could harm right, you could just like walk around and yeah. like have the virus here you know in in the U.S. our culture is so incredibly individualistic yeah. and so here we have people saying well you know you can't make me wear a mask. You can't make me get a vaccine. You, you can't tell me what to do. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like people don't, don't stop to think that like they aren't the only person that matters in the world that like it may suck for you to wear a mask for a little while. Like that's not great. Yeah. But it would suck worse for like someone to die. And yet like people don't. People don't yeah. care about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just it's, this really odd thing. That it happens. is interesting how how the, the the concept of of having rights has been <laughs> misconstrued, shall we say? Yeah, um, you, you have all kinds of rights that you probably don't really need to have. Um, yeah. I don't think you need to have the right to like walk around and and make people sick. Um, yeah, I know that, right. that's that's not a it's not a great right to have. No, it's, it's, it's not, yeah, it's not justified, is it? I mean, here in Scotland, it's still compulsory to wear masks everywhere. 
Um, I, I don't think that means that we don't live in a utopia and there's still people who have issues with it. But generally speaking, everyone's still wearing masks um, and there's lots of, you know, uh, hand sanitizers everywhere and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, last year, people plotted to yeah. abduct and kill our governor here where I live because she was mandating like a stay-at-home order and there was like this whole huge plot of like people that were going to like take her across state lines and do like who knows you know some very terrible thing to prove that like this is what happens if you try to make people do what they don't want to do. You see this is so interesting because I've been listening, as I said, the, the Witches of Scotland podcast, they had a, a guest speaker on. She was talking very, very interestingly about heresy and how we are seeing that play out in the current moment. Oh, yes. Uh, and obviously, you know, you have early modern society and, and heresy and, and, and what you say. And, um, you know, if you're a heretic, you'd be burned. And and, and actually, this, you know, lots of heretics were, were burned um and and met with these terrible fates and here it's it, you just think no we're not we're not burning people and it's a it's a different situation but at the same time we're seeing some kind of weird parallelism going on yes here. you yes. know what on earth kind of uh, who in the right mind are these individuals wanting to kidnap a governor because uh-huh <laughs> Yeah, like this is this is a good thing to do. This is like you hatch this huge elaborate plot and then you're kind of surprised when you know it doesn't work out for you and like you know people are now like hunting you down. Yeah. Because like hello, you're not supposed to kidnap and kill people. No, no. Like no that... matter who they are, but like I really don't think you're supposed to abduct the governor. Like that that's just um no, it's, um, it's thing you do. It's maybe it's who knows it's uh I do think there's there's very strange and interesting ways that you know you can see reprisals and and mm-hmm. echoes of the distant past in the present oh, yes and maybe you know I I think actually when I was doing the research for this book and, and I had this what I felt was a really crazy idea to have this witch narrative in this book and I I felt kind of uneasy about it I thought my publisher's gonna worry about me you're you know you're writing about witches now what is going on (laughs) um but you know the more I saw these parallels and echoes between you know the past and the current moment I felt emboldened to you know to to really tease out that narrative because to me it just it was it was apparent and without giving away too much of the book you know I wanted to show that time the way we think of time is is not accurate either, especially in the face of climate change when we have, you know, 42,000 year old worms being dug up, dug up from the snows of Siberia and they, they're alive. It just, it blows my mind that we have the, these sort of um, quite scary ways in which the distant, distant past is colliding with the present um, you know, it just it just rained in Greenland, I think, which has never happened. Um, but it signals a kind of, you know, it's like we're, we're, we're actually moving backward in time to something like the 
the Eocene or the Paleozoic period. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, there's so much like ancient yeah. history that impacts yeah. us in ways that we don't even realize. Exactly. So I, I, I was thinking about all these things when I was writing this book and trying to find a way to um, to to give a space to those conversations and those those ideas that I had without making it a big stew of a book, um, which actually took a long time because I was so worried that I was just making a big stew. I wanted to take risks and I wanted to, you know, to find a space for these ideas that I had and the things that were going on in my mind about climate change, about time, about misogyny, about society, um, about feminism, about motherhood. Um, but yeah, it was, it took a while for me to fit out how to put all those pieces together in a way that felt, you know, fluid and, and uh, convincing, I suppose. It worked so well because it all tied together in a way that, you know, didn't like make 100% sense right away. Like as you're reading, you're like, well, wait, so this, you know, how does this tie back to this other story? But as it unfolds, you see all of the parallels and like it really, it really makes sense in a way that you, you didn't necessarily expect when you started. That's good. <laughs> that, that's that's definitely good. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I enjoy writing a book that intrigues me. I'd rather be intrigued than bored um, and have everything explained. Uh, but sometimes, yeah, you get this feeling as a writer when you set things up, you feel like maybe I've bitten off more than I can chew here. <laughs> maybe I can't bring this all together. But, you know, every book involved, I know this now, every project has these moments or months of worry and uncertainty and fear but I guess now that I'm on the other side of the writing of the book I feel that's a good way to write because without all of that risk taking you don't you know you don't push yourself creatively you don't there's no risk no gain eh? that's true (laughs) Yeah. So shifting gears slightly, can you tell us if you've read anything recently that you think the world should know about? Oh, that's a really good question. I think it's I've, my favorite question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I definitely have read some books that have just, you know, really blown my mind and inspired me and made me want to be a better writer and take all the risks um, and I really, really, really loved uh, Lisa Jewell's book. Um, not the night she did, disappeared. Uh, it was a couple of books. The Family Upstairs. That's the one. Oh my gosh! Yes, The Family Upstairs. I felt was really a masterpiece um, in terms of you know, well, in so many ways, it was beautifully written, but. Yes, the, it was so well done. All the different stories and the way she brought them together. Oh, I just, it was such an enjoyable read. I just thought that was a, a terrific book. Um, I loved Camilla Bryce's book, You Let Me In. Um, I thought that was just phenomenal. Super, super, super weird, which that was right up my street. Um, and I also loved The Last House in Needless Street. I thought it was just brilliant. So it, if that hasn't been on your t- TBR list. That would be. Have you read um, Camilla Bruce's other novel, um, In the Garden of Spite? 
Yes, I'm. I'm actually reading it as we speak. <laughs> I am. I am really. Uh, I, I love her work. I think she's just tremendous. So, yeah, don't tell me anything because. Oh, I will not. Except that it is. I think one of the best titles that I've ever seen for a book. Like yes. in the Garden of Spite is just so, so amazing. It is, and it has a different title in the UK. It's called. It Tri- does. It does. Yeah. Oh. It's a very different title. It's Triflers May Not Apply, which oh. I don't know that I like as much as no, In the Garden I, of Spite. No, I, I'm glad that here um, it is In the Garden of Spite because yeah. it just, it suits it like so well. It does. It does. Um, yeah. I, I remember seeing it actually um, being released and I saw that I thought, is she, is she publishing two books? And then I saw no. It just changed the title but um yeah so that's that's for sure uh one that I want to finish oh that I, that is so so good and I just the other night just read reread uh, a sort of older book by Michelle Paver Dark Matter it's set in the Arctic um yes you talked to me about that the last did time I, last year yes Oh, I think yes. that's, I reread it just recently because I just thought it's the right season for it. And it's, it's, it's a really great book. It, it scared me all over again, which I think is, you know, that's, that's the mark of a really, really brilliant book when on a second or third read, it still gives you that. <laughs> that yes. I, I, I want to go turn the light on now. <laughs> yes. So yeah, really, really want to revisit every year. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule, especially so close to your release day, to talk with me about your inspiration for this novel and just, you know, some of the the things that you've learned from writing it. Before you leave us, can you let us know the best ways that listeners can find you online? Certainly. So I am on all the socials. I'm on Instagram as cjcook underscore author and it's cook with an e and on twitter i am c jess cook with an e obviously yes <laughs> uh, facebook i think i'm cj cook books on on facebook facebook's a, yeah a different one but um and i have a website which is cjcookauthor.com Perfect. Well, again, thank you so very much. And we have been discussing The Lighthouse Witches by C.J. Cook. Thank you for having me. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.